Good morning. So good to be back with you this morning. So grateful uh, to the Lord and to you for the grace of uh, being able to have just a, a couple of weeks of a break from preaching and a week to get away and spend some time in prayer with the Lord and seeking after Him, but it is most definitely good to be back. So why don't you take your Bible and open with me, uh, please, to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. As you're finding your way to Luke 21, just want to let you know that uh, next weekend we are going to begin a brand new series uh, that is going to lead us straight into Christmas. How great is that, right? Christmas only a month away. And um, we're going to begin that series next week. I'm excited for that. It's a series called Women of Wonder, how God used four women to teach us about the coming of Christ. And uh, we're going to look at how our faith can grow because of the ways that God has used women like Elizabeth and uh, Mary and Anna. And uh, next week, Lord willing, we're going to begin that series by looking at how God has used Eve in the Garden of Eden to teach us about the importance of the coming of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, again, Lord willing, all of that begins next Sunday morning and leads us into the Christmas season, which means then that today uh, we are in the final message in our series on money and possessions, and uh, we wrap this up today in Luke chapter 21. Now, I don't really know how this series has impacted all of you, Uh, But I do know that based on a handful of conversations with some of you, uh, I do know how you're responding, not so much to me or to a message, but really how you're responding to God in his word. And uh, I just think of two conversations that I've had just even over the past few weeks with a couple of people here in our church, two different people that God has blessed with uh, financial resources. And, And they've been praying, and as they've communicated it to me, they've just been sensing that the Lord has been leading them to give significant amounts of money away to other people. And, and some of that money give, being given to people within our church to help meet a need, uh, some of that money being given away to people outside of our church who also have needs. Uh, I think of other stories that I've heard over the past number of weeks of people responding, not necessarily by giving away amounts of money, but instead by spending money to buy things that they know other people need and then giving those things to those people who need them. I think of conversations I've had and, and just, being, uh, just being able to stand back and watch a little bit and, and see how so many of you across the church have really jumped in with both feet into this ministry to the homeless that, uh, that we've engaged in now. Some of you are jumping in with both feet through financial donations, some through buying supplies, others through preparing meals, and um, I can't even begin to describe to you how encouraging that is to see that, how encouraging that is to me personally. I even think of some of the stories that I've heard of kids in our church and and kids who are picking up these little jobs, these things that they can do, and and they're making money with the express purpose of being able to give that money that they're making away to other people who need it. And in some cases, kids uh, taking up these jobs, making this money, in some cases, so they can buy things that they know other people need, and then they go and use the money that they've made to buy those things that people need and give it to them. Like, that's amazing. That's so, so encouraging to me to hear those stories and uh, so very thankful to the Lord to hear of the ways that he's working among us. On the flip side, if I can speak um, pastorally here just for a few minutes, I I do know also that uh, for many of us across uh, this church that this series has been hard. It's been hard in different ways, and the reality is um, you cannot do a series like this on money and possessions without exposing some idols within all of our lives. Like, we're all there, and, and it feels in some sense like we've just kind of woken up this sleeping giant. 
And, and in some respect, that's kind of what money and possessions are. It's not just that they're a sleeping giant, but, but money and, and possessions has the potential to be this giant idol within our lives that has the power to lull us to sleep, really, in all the wrong ways. And so as we go through this series and as we wrap it up today, and, and just in the spirit of being straight up with all of you, um, I, personally, I personally have found this series uh, far and away not even close. This series, far and away, has been the most difficult sermon series I have ever preached in my entire life. And that's for a multitude of reasons, but for example, one of the reasons that I've found it so difficult is because this series has really caused me and Stacy and our family to think through some of the things that we're doing around money and possessions. And, and to think through not only how we enjoy everything that God has given us, because 1 Timothy 6 says that God has given us everything to enjoy. It's a blessing from him. And so we're thinking through not only how we enjoy what God has given us, but we're also thinking through how we use what God has given us and how we steward what the Lord has blessed us with. And, and part of what we're learning, again, as a family, and I think part of what we're learning collectively even as well as a church family is just how hard this actually is. And it can be hard for any of us because in some senses, it's not really until we're confronted by God in his word that we begin to see more clearly where we actually are with some of these things. In some, in some respect, it's almost like this series has been like a, a giant smack upside the head with a biblical two-by-four, right? And then when we come back around again, we start to see more clearly where we actually are. And sometimes the problem is we didn't even realize that we were there. And, and we stand up and we start thinking to ourselves, okay, I didn't mean to be there, but here I am. And, and I wasn't planning to go there, but here I am. So now what do I do with this? And in that... Um, I want you to hear this, in that it can be really easy for us to miss the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is what the enemy brings upon you to make you feel guilty. Conviction is what the Spirit of God brings upon you to make you more like Jesus. And there's a huge difference between those two things. And so my prayer for us as we wrap up this series this morning and as we continue to process really all that the Lord has been teaching us through this series is that uh, we would put a lot of distance between us and the condemnation. And that in that, we would welcome the conviction that comes from the Spirit of God because that conviction is meant to make us more like Jesus. That we would welcome that conviction with a sense of grace and humility. And so with that, as we wrap up this series this morning, let's have our Bibles open to Luke chapter 21. And uh, the title of today's message is The Faith in Sacrificing. The Faith in Sacrificing. I debated for a while this week about calling this message How to Give and How Not to Give. And um, Lord willing, you'll see why in just a few minutes, but we're going with this, The Faith in Sacrificing. And so uh, follow along with me in your copy of God's Word as I read Luke 21 verses 1 through 4. The Word of God says this. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So there it is. That's it. That's the whole story. Wrapped up in four verses. Now, 
we look at this, and on the surface, this may seem like a really simple story. Jesus is sitting in the part of the temple where the treasury is, and he's watching people come and go as they drop their offering into the various offering boxes within the temple. And it would seem that there's this procession of rich people who are walking in, and they're dropping their offerings into the offering boxes, and then a poor widow comes along, and she drops in her offering that is significantly less than everything else the people before her had given. Now, when it comes to this passage, uh, the part that we don't often see right away is that Jesus has just finished preaching a scathing sermon where he pronounced judgment on the Pharisees and the scribes because of their blatant hypocrisy and pride. So look back just a few verses before to the end of chapter 20 in verse 46. Chapter 20, verse 46. This is Jesus speaking. He's preaching here. He says, Beware of the scribes who walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. So Jesus is saying here, watch out for these people because they love the recognition. That's the only reason that they're in it. They want other people to notice them. They want other people to see them. They love the places of honor. They love the reputation. They love everything that comes with it. And so Jesus says, just watch out for those people. Beware of the scribes. He goes on in verse 47, and he says, Beware of them who devour widows' houses. Now mark that, because we're going to come back to that in just a minute. And for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So notice this here. Jesus condemns the scribes, not just for their obvious hypocrisy, but also because, he says here, they devour widows' houses. And who's one of the main players in our passage in chapter 21? It's a poor widow. See, the scribes had all of these rules, these regulations. Uh, They had the power and the influence even to make people give financially in a certain way. And they had gained a reputation for pushing and pushing and pushing so hard against some of the least fortunate people within that society in the sense that it pushed those people so far over the edge that by the time they had given, they had nothing left for themselves. And so by the time now we get to the start of chapter 21, this is not only an example of how to give sacrificially, this is also a real-time illustration for why Jesus has just condemned the scribes. Because this poor widow is coming with everything that she has left, and now she is giving it to God. In other words, the scribes were giving for all the wrong reasons, and they were teaching other people, they were even forcing other people to also give for all the wrong reasons. And so as we come to this passage now in Luke 21, this is a warning for all of us to make sure that our hearts are in the right place when it comes to giving sacrificially to the Lord. Now, for as short as this passage is, only four verses long, there is a ton that is packed into this passage. And I want you to see this. Jesus and the disciples are in the temple. Uh, Mark tells us in his gospel that the disciples are there with Jesus. They're sitting off in the distance. And the temple treasury was located in a part of the temple called the Court of Women. So you can see from this graphic up on the screen that uh, the court of women is the middle part of that middle section that is sectioned off in the temple. So you see that middle part there, and there's that big open space in that middle part. That's the court of women. And that's one of the places within the temple that women were allowed to go into. It's also the place where the temple treasury was located. 
And the treasury had 13 receptacles where people could come in and they could drop their offerings into the offering box. Many times these offering boxes were designated so that people were giving towards certain things. Now much of their currency that they used in that day was in coins. Uh, They didn't have paper bills. They didn't have plastic money like we do today. And so the receptacles were like these trumpet-shaped bowls almost that that they would come to. They were made maybe something kind of similar to this kind of material so that whenever you drop your offering, whenever you drop your coins into the offering box, it would make this really loud noise based on how much you had just given. So try and take a minute and, and picture with me what's happening here in Luke chapter 21 in the first couple of verses. So Jesus describes this scene and and Luke describes the scene where people are coming and going into the temple and into the treasury and they're taking their turns. They're walking up to the offering boxes. They're putting the offerings in and Luke describes this scene where a rich person walks up. And this rich person walks up to the offering box and he's about to give his offering. The thing is, we don't know who he is. We don't know where he's from. We don't even really know his motives for why he's giving on this particular day. All we know is that he appears to be wealthy. And it may be that he appears to be wealthy based on the way that he's dressed or, or maybe there's based on the other people that have come with him or maybe it's even just the size of, of his offering that he's about to put in the offering box and people look at him and they realize, wow, this guy looks pretty wealthy. He's here to give his offering. And so he takes his turn and he walks up to the offering box and, and he starts to put his offering in. Just makes all this noise. And so people around are, are looking and they're, they're like, wow, can you believe that? Like this guy just walked up to this box and put his offering. I don't know how much he gave, but it sounded like a lot, right? And so they're pretty impressed. And, and this guy, he's done giving his offering. He starts collecting his things. He backs up a little bit, maybe takes a look around just to see who else was there and maybe saw him drop his offering into the offering. Maybe you heard my offering, right? And, and so he steps back a little bit, gathers his stuff. And then he walks away. Luke tells now of a second guy who walks up and, and he walks up to the offering box and, and he's much like the first guy. We don't know who he is. We don't know where he's from. We don't really know what his motive is for giving and coming to the temple that day to drop his offering into the offering box. But, but he looks a lot like the first guy. And, and he, he looks wealthy on the outside. Maybe, again, same reasons. Maybe it's because of what he's wearing or the people who have come with him or, or maybe it's the size of his offering as well. And so he takes his turn. He walks up to the offering box to give his offering. And all that noise, wow, that's loud. That might have even been louder than the first guy. And all these other people are looking around and they're thinking, man, I don't know how much that guy gave, but I think it might have been more than the first guy. We're really glad that he came to the temple today. And, and so this guy grabs his bag, grabs his stuff, takes a step back, looks around, maybe seeing who's there, waves at his friends, and, and he starts walking away. Luke tells us that this goes on. There's people who are coming into the temple treasury and they're giving their offerings and And then he says, after the rich people have come and given their offerings, there's a lady that steps up. And Jesus describes this lady, in fact, twice in this passage, as a poor widow. And we don't know who she is. We don't know where she's from. We don't even know what her motive is for coming to the temple treasury that day to give what she's about to give. All we know is that she is a poor widow. Maybe it's based on the way that she's dressed. 
Maybe it's based on the way that she looks. Maybe it's the fact that there's nobody else there with her. Maybe it's even the size of her offering that she's about to give and the fact that people can't even see really what she's about to give. All we know is that she's this poor widow and, and she comes up and she takes her place up at the offering box to give her offering and... And then she walks away. And the thing is, when she walks away, I, I have this feeling that she's not really looking around. Like, she might be looking around, but the only reason that she's looking around is because she wants to avoid the stares of everybody else. Because she realizes that what she just gave doesn't even compare to what everybody else had just given. And so she walks out. Now, what's really interesting about this is that um, Jesus says something that is really, really strange after all of that has just happened. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says to them, listen, this poor widow who gave this has just given more than all of these people combined. And we're sitting here and we're reading that and we're thinking to ourselves, wait a minute, Jesus, that doesn't make sense. This poor widow who drops in two small copper coins has given more than all of these other people? Now, stop right here and take a minute and try and insert yourself into this story in Luke 21. Try and put yourself into the temple treasury that day and, and just see and feel what's going on. Because the reality is, if you and I were in the temple treasury on that day, based on the culture in which we live today, based on where in the world that we live today, we would be the people who are giving this. We would be the ones who are giving out of our abundance. And, and I know sometimes it doesn't always feel like that for us, does it? We've talked about this at the beginning of the series, that, that it doesn't always feel like we have an abundance because so many times it just feels like we're trying to make ends meet, right? Like we're trying to scrape things together and, and if we can get to the end of the month and pay every bill, then that's a major win for us. And, and sometimes it just doesn't feel like we're the ones who are giving out of abundance. But most often the reason that that happens is because we end up comparing ourselves to those who have more than we do instead of those who have less than we do. And we're the ones who are giving out of abundance. We're the ones who are living in an age, in a day today, where there is more abundance and more prosperity than at any other time in the history of the entire world. Especially at a time when today, 40% of the global population is living on less than $2 a day. And here we are. We're the ones who give out of the abundance. Now try and keep yourself in this story for a second. And you hear Jesus say, this woman who gave these two small copper coins has given more than everybody else combined. How does that make you feel? Like maybe, maybe you're sitting here right now, you're trying to process this and you think to yourself, wait a second, Jesus, come on. Like, like really? Like maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're a little bit confused. Maybe you're even a little bit angry. Like you can feel the anger welling up inside of you because there's something in you that, that makes you think, come on, Jesus, you don't see the value of what I just gave, of what I just dropped into this offering box? And maybe you can picture even some of the people who are actually in the temple treasury that day and they're among those people and they see what's happening and they hear Jesus say this and that in saying this, Jesus, listen, Jesus is not just talking about what's in the offering box. He's talking about what's in the heart. 
And we read this and we think, come on, Jesus, like, like that totally doesn't make sense. Like, where did you go to school? Because your math just doesn't add up. But the whole point here, listen, the whole point behind what's taking place here is that for Jesus, this is not a math problem to be solved. This is a heart question to be answered. Jesus is talking about our hearts. He's getting to what is in our hearts. And that's been really one of the primary points that Luke has been making all the way through his gospel. Back in chapter 1, Luke tells us that he's writing this gospel to a guy named Theophilus. It's thought that Theophilus uh, was a man who had significant social standing in his day. And because he had that significant social standing, it's also thought that he had a significant amount of wealth. It's not too different from Luke himself. It's thought that Luke was fairly wealthy as well. He was a doctor, and much like doctors in our day, many doctors in our day, he was doing okay. And and this isn't the only reason that Luke is writing this to him, but it is one of the reasons to say to him, okay, Theophilus, here's what it means to have wealth. Here's what it means to have abundance. Here's what it means to have prosperity and still follow Jesus. So he's not condemning money and possessions. But he is saying, listen, Jesus knows far better than we do that if we are not careful, then all the stuff that we have in this life can turn our hearts in a very dangerous direction. And so there are some very important things that you need to consider when it comes to truly following Jesus with all of the stuff that you have. See, for Jesus, keep in mind, this is not about the math. It's about the heart. It's about what's in our heart when it comes to our money and possessions. And and part of what we learn right here from this passage in Luke 21 is that Jesus sees what we give. I mean, we can see that plainly in verse 1. It says, Jesus looked up and saw. Then we see it again in verse 2, and he saw. Like, Jesus sees what we give. And, And when Jesus sees what we give, he also sees the heart that drives what we give. And so, What I want to do for the remainder of the time that we have together this morning is simply this. I want to give you two heart questions that come right from this passage um, about money and possessions, about what it means to have faith in sacrificing. Two heart questions. Here's the first. You can jot this down. Number one, is my giving only about the amount or is it also about the cost? Now, we need to understand that there's, there's a very big difference between those two things, right? There's, there's a massive difference between the amount that we give and what it actually costs us to give a certain amount. For example, when, when you consider your financial giving to the Lord, some people could give like X amount of dollars, and, and you could give a certain amount, and life would go on, and you would still feel some level of comfort and security in your financial position. But other people could also give that very same amount, maybe even a little bit less than that, and it could come close to totally breaking them. And that's part of the point that Jesus is making here. It's not just about the amount that you give. It's also about what it costs you to give that amount. Now, I want to be really, really careful with this because it's not about comparing what you give up against what someone else gives. And if that's what we're taking away from this passage, then we're, we're kind of missing the point here. The point is that we need to see that there's a difference between amount and cost. So look with me again at verses 1 and 2. And notice the contrasts that uh, develop here in this scenario. You've got the rich people and you've got the poor widow. So that's contrast number one. 
You've got the rich people who are giving a lot of money in contrast uh, to the poor widow who gives two small copper coins out of her poverty. That's another contrast. And Jesus describes her here not just as a widow, but notice he describes her as a poor widow twice in this passage. And as a widow, her husband has either passed away or left her. And in that culture, being a widow would have also meant that she had no children who were left to take care of her. But being a poor widow... Her society would have regarded her as the poorest of the poor, which also meant then that she was extremely vulnerable within her society. So try and picture this in your mind. She's walking into the temple that day. She's walking up to this offering box. She has nothing. She has nothing. She has no one. She is doing everything that she can just to survive. And Jesus sees her walking into the temple treasury, taking her place in line behind all of these other people who have just given far more than she has, or she will. And when it's her turn, she walks up to the temple treasury and she drops in these two small copper coins. Like we got to understand, she is not stopping at the grocery store when she's done here. She's not going out for dinner with her friends on the weekend. She's not stopping somewhere on the way home to do something a little extra for herself. When she lets go of those two coins, that's it for her. She has nothing left. She is standing in the temple and she is keeping nothing for herself because she is giving everything to God. And the point that Jesus is driving home here is that sometimes there is a big difference between the amount and the cost. Amount is something that you give. Cost is something that you feel. Something you feel because you know that if God is asking you, if God is leading you to give this, then God is quickly putting you in a spot where you have to believe that God's going to somehow make up the difference for you. So we hear Jesus say all this and then we try and drop this into our 21st century North American culture that is so completely and entirely consumed by consumerism and materialism and greed and indulgence and instant gratification and on and on and on the list goes and we start to wonder, like loved ones, we should be asking this question. As a follower of Jesus in this kind of culture, how do I know that it's not just about the amount that I'm giving but also about the cost? Like do, do your own examination in this. Check your own heart. Do you see your personal giving to the Lord more like a budget line that you manage or as an act of faith that you surrender? Just think of, of what Jesus says here, verse 3. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. Like it's, it's just there. It's right there. It's not just about the amount. It's also about the cost. I was talking to someone from our church um, back at the beginning of this series, probably going back six, seven, eight weeks ago now, and um, I'm not going to share a lot of the details of their story or, or anything like that because that's personal to them, but, but they were telling me about some of the challenges that the Lord has allowed them to go through and specifically how it's, it's made an impact on their financial situation. And, and so they're telling me a lot about the challenges and the complications and the difficulties that they have been through for uh, quite some time. And, and at the same time, uh, they know that they need to give to the Lord. And their heart is that they want to give to the Lord. 
And in his faithfulness, the Lord has shown them a variety of ways that they're able to give to the Lord in light of the circumstances that the Lord has been allowing them to go through for a really long time. And so I'm standing there listening to them tell this story, and I'm not even saying anything. I'm just taking it all in, and I am totally blown away by the faithfulness of God. Like just unbelievably blown away by how good God has been to them, but, but also how God is not only working in, that, in them, but how God is also working through them as a result of all of this that they've been through. And so I'm thinking as, as I'm preparing this sermon this week and, and I'm thinking about that conversation six, seven, eight weeks ago and I'm thinking, yes, that's it. Like that's what it means to to really understand the difference that it's not just about the amount, it's also about the cost. Think about this difference between amount and cost and and I think of a passage like 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8 about the churches in Macedonia who wrestled with this in real time. Verse 2, Paul says, For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Like, I, I love that picture. Like, can you just picture that in your mind? Like, brothers and sisters in Christ in extreme poverty of their own. But they have this abundance of joy in Jesus. And when you put those two things together, there's this strange sort of supernatural arithmetic that starts to happen, right? Like you take extreme poverty plus extreme joy in Jesus equals extreme wealth of generosity. Like that has to be supernatural, right? There's no other way to explain that. And so Paul says here, they not only gave, but they gave beyond their means, And then he says, they not only gave beyond their means, but they begged to do so. They wanted to do this. And so we read passages like this in God's word, and the challenge becomes then for us, is that my heart as well? Is that where our hearts are as well? Like, take a minute, put yourself back into Luke 21. When Jesus sees me give, what does Jesus see? Does he see a heart that's really only kind of concerned about the amount? Or does he see a heart that understands the cost? When Jesus sees me give, what does Jesus see? Two questions for us to consider. The faith and sacrificing Number one, is my giving only about the amount or is it also about the cost? Here's question number two. Am I giving out of the fear that I feel or out of the grace that I've been given? Notice verse four one more time. Jesus says this. For they all contributed. So he's talking here about the rich people who have come and dropped their offerings in. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, meaning the poor widow, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on? Am I giving out of the fear that I feel or out of the grace that I've been given? So uh, one more time, all the rich people are coming and giving their offering, and that word abundance that uh, Jesus uses here, used in this context, it means that, that these were people who had more than the average person of their day. It means that they could come to the treasury and drop in an amount, but it wouldn't really cost them so much. And because they could give that amount, but it didn't really make a dent in the way that they lived the rest of their life. In other words, they could give that amount, but they wouldn't really miss it. 
Like life would go on and, and they'd be okay. And, and sometimes, isn't it true, sometimes it's easy for us to fall into that pattern too. Like sure, we'll give, but, but should I give so much that it's going to purposely put me in a position where again, I have to believe that God's going to make up the difference for me. Like what if I give away too much? Then what's going to happen? Or what if I give away too much and, and then what if God doesn't come through? What if I give away too much and then it just doesn't work out and I get to the end of the month and I don't know what I'm going to do and, and on and on and on it goes, right? Like, think about this for a minute. What if we were to give financially in a way that purposely created space for faith in our life? Like, what if we were to come before God? Because I think the reality is that for so many Christians all across evangelical Christianity, for so many Christians, we don't give like this. We don't think this way. So what would it look like if we were to come before God and, and we're like, okay, God, as I've been praying to you and as I've been processing all that you're teaching me, I sense that you're leading me to give this specific amount of money on a regular basis. And I know that in giving this way, I'm giving beyond my means to use the language of 2 Corinthians 8. And it's going to put me in a difficult position because I've never given like this before. Or we come before God and we say, God, I sense that you're leading me to give a specific amount of money as a one-time gift. And I've never given a one-time gift that is quite that big before. And, and I know it's going to mean sacrificing some other things. And, and do I need to do that? And, or what if we come before God and say, God, I'm sensing that you're leading me to sell my possessions and give to the needy. We've come across that at least twice in this series, right? Or God, I, I sense that you're leading me just to blow up this budget philosophy that I've been depending on for years because I see now that you're teaching me to reorder my priorities when it comes to my money and possessions. Or God, I sense that you are leading me to quickly and radically eliminate the credit card debt that I have right now. And God, based on what you've been doing in my life and all that you've given me, I understand that by giving back to you in this way, that I am giving beyond my means. Again, using the language of 2 Corinthians 8. And in doing this, God, I want to honor you by purposely creating this space for faith in my life and in my relationship with you. And I'm trusting God that you will take this gift that I'm giving and you will multiply it in ways that I simply cannot, but that in giving beyond my means, I'm also believing that you will provide everything that I need. Like, What if God is leading you now? What if God has been leading you for some time, even up to this point, to use your financial giving, to use your money and possessions in, in very broad terms? Like, what if God has been leading you to use all of those things as a way to create space for faith in him in your life? It's not the only way God creates space for faith in our life, but it is one really, really big way. See, here's the thing. The danger of only and always giving out of our abundance is that it exposes a fear that's living in our hearts. That, that I'm only and always giving in such a way that it never really makes a dent in the rest of the way that I live my life because I'm too afraid of what's going to happen if I give away too much. And before we know it, we let our standard of living determine our standard of giving. And I think Jesus has been driving this home all the way for us, all the way through this series. He does this all the way through the Gospel of Luke that it's actually the other way around, that our standard of giving should determine our standard of living. C.S. Lewis had some helpful insight on this from mere Christianity. He says this, I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give in terms of a, a specific financial amount that everyone ought to give. 
He says, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things that we should like to do and cannot do because our charity's expenditure excludes them. Just think about that. What's, what's he saying here? Let's not miss this. Let's not miss the reality that, again, 1 Timothy 6, God has given us all things to enjoy. Okay, God has blessed us. These are all blessings from him for us to enjoy. But, but part of what he's saying here is that if our standard of giving is no different than those who have been given similar amounts as we have, especially those among the world, then we're probably not giving enough. Bottom line, is there space for faith in this area within your life? Notice here, the rich people gave out of their abundance, but the poor widow gave out of her poverty. And at the end of verse 4, Jesus wraps this up. He says um, that she put in all that she had to live on. That phrase in the original language, it literally means that, that she put in all of her life. She put in all of her life. So, so again, just try and picture this scene in your mind if you can, okay? She walks up. She's got nothing. Like, like she has, everybody can see it. She's got nothing at all. But she's come to the temple. Again, we don't know her motive for why she's there. But, but she walks up. It's her turn to give the offering. She knows that as soon as these two small copper coins hit the bottom of the offering box, she's got nothing left. So she walks up. Drops them in walks away, and it's like she's saying, God, here I am. All of my life belongs completely and totally to you. And that's what we need to see here. We need to see that this is not just about money. This is not just about possessions. This is not just about what we drop into an offering bag. This is an act of faith. This is an act of surrender that says, God, I'm all yours. And we're taking this one area within our life that has the ability to sway us and influence us so much, and we're saying, God, I'm going to give in such a way that, that I'm declaring in what I give that this is not what controls me anymore. But instead, I'm giving in such a way as to say, God, I'm depending on you for everything that I need. My entire life, I am laying down completely before you. She put in all of her life, and that's the call of the Christian life. That's the call of every follower of Jesus. The gospel is continually beckoning us to give ourselves entirely over to God and to his purposes, not just with our money and possessions, but with everything about this life that we've been given. Here's one more picture of this in the New Testament. This is so amazing. And, and understand that this is the pattern. Okay? This is the expectation. This is the norm, not the exception uh, across the New Testament. Look at this in Acts chapter 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but, that everything, but they had everything in common. 
And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. I love that picture. Like here's this brand new church that's putting all of their life down before God. If I see a brother in need, I can go to him and give him something that I have because he clearly needs it more than I do with no expectation that I'm going to get anything back in return from him. And if I have a need and a brother sees that need, he can come to me and give me something he has with no expectation of getting something back in return because I clearly need it more than he does. And that's happening all over the church. It's happening all over the place and needs are being met. And when that happens, that's what happens when we put all of our lives in as an offering to God. We're saying, God, as thankful as I am for these earthly possessions, as much as I am grateful to you for all that you have given me, what I'm saying here is that these things are no longer the source of my identity. These things are no longer the source of my security. These things are no longer the source of my provision. I am depending no longer on these things to do for me what they were never meant to do. And when we come before God and we put in all of our life for him like that, we tend to hold things a lot more loosely and give things a lot more freely because then we've arrived at a place where we see things a lot more clearly because that's what Jesus has done for us. In perfect obedience, Jesus put in all of his life as an offering to God. And then he offered himself up as a sacrifice for our sins and he rose again for our justification. And now Jesus beckons us to put in all of our lives as an offering to God. To walk up and not just be concerned about the amount, but to understand the cost. Not just the cost of what we give, but the cost of what has been given for us. Jesus sees what I give. The question is, when I give, what does Jesus see? J.C. Ryle summed it up like this. With this we close. It does cost something to be a real Christian according to the standard of the Bible. There are enemies to be overcome, battles to be fought, sacrifices to be made, an Egypt to be forsaken, a wilderness to be passed through, a cross to be carried, and a race to be run. Lord, help us. When it comes to money and possessions of this life, help us to truly count the cost of what it means to follow you. Let's pray.